Hey, hold on, phone that video yet. We're not quite ready for that yet. Thank you. Um, I was reminded when Jeremy was talking there for a second that um, between song or between the bridge on the song that how that Satan does put constantly put lies into our minds, and he tells us things that just aren't true that aren't they are contrary to God's word. And if, if you're honest with yourself, you can probably relate to this short little video clip that I have that is really the way we operate most of the time if we're honest. And so watch this and see if you relate to it. I kid, every time I'm pulling out, he's right there. Man, and someone needs to talk to his parents if they're ever at home. What is up with the traffic today? It's in always, every day, this intersection's always crowded. I hate pulling out of here. Maybe some of these dumb roads. Oh, there's... Oh. <laughs> okay, so I'm not even here. Right. Great lady. The princess of parking. Oh, sure. Take the spot. Way to be considerate. Oh. Kidding me? Unbelievable. Oh. Thank you, ma'am. Oh, it's about time. Let's see, what do I want? Uh, yeah, can I add a cookie to that order? Yeah, no problem. Yeah, uh, no problem, only guy in the world. I'm sure you need your cookie. The world, your oyster, and he's serving your cookie. Thanks, Thank sir. you so much. Uh -huh. What can I get for you? Uh, yeah, I'll have a tall decaf macchiato. Yeah, sure, no problem. Be 385. And uh, it might take a few minutes here. We've got quite a line, obviously, and thanks for your patience. Great. Yeah, <laughs> great. Great for me. Waiting again. Unbelievable. It remind you of yourself maybe a little bit, that running dialogue that goes in your head that you don't want to admit to anybody that's there, right? That you're constantly uh, talking negative and, you know, we want the world to revolve around us. We never would say that. We would never admit that. But that's the way we think in our mind. That's what goes through our minds. And we have this unending conversation that happens. And we, we're constantly interpreting the world around us we're worrying about situations, we're thinking about people, we're analyzing the things that are going on out there, the things that are going on in here. But I'm going to ask you honestly, what would begin to happen in your life if you truly allowed the gospel just to saturate your mind more and more throughout the day? If you allowed Jesus' presence and the gospel truth to really, truly start to define the way that you think. We, we say it here a lot, and it's not original with us, but we say preaching the gospel to ourselves and I want to read this quote from one of my favorite books, The Discipline of Grace, by a guy named Jerry Bridges. And he writes this, To preach the gospel to yourself, then, means that you continually face up to your own sinfulness and then flee to Jesus through faith in his shed blood and righteous life. It means that you appropriate, again by faith, the fact that Jesus fully satisfied the law of God and he is your propitiation and that God's Holy wrath is no longer directed toward you. And that's the gospel truth. And if we want to truly realize and live out John chapter 10, where Jesus said that we can have life and we can have it to its fullest, we can have abundant life, and we're going to truly realize that. It doesn't happen just by hearing a sermon on Sunday, but it takes a matter of putting the truth into practice. So today I want to challenge you to allow the Holy Spirit to truly take the words of Jesus, Jesus in 10.10 said, I came to give you life and to give it to you abundantly. 
and allow that to become a, a serious reality in your life. Instead of just letting your thoughts just drag you wherever and you always make your day about you and what you want, begin to let the gospel just permeate. And so Jesus is going to talk very clearly about his upcoming death and resurrection in this passage. And so as we read the gospel and as he presents the gospel, remember that he truly desires to not only shepherd your life, but he wants to shepherd your thoughts and your meditations. Let's pray, and we'll look at John 10, 10 through 18. Father God, we really truly want your word to be real and active in our lives. Yet sometimes, many times, we compartmentalize, and we can walk out of here and just jump back into our other life, where we just go through and we live life from our own perspective, through our own selfish desires and wants. And we give you lip service at times, but truly we don't allow you to rule our lives. And God, you've given us the Holy Spirit to give us the power and the strength so that we can fulfill our very purpose for existence. As Jesus talks about his purpose for coming, God, you've given us a a purpose as well. And God, I pray that we'll live that. And I pray your truth will just sink in deep to our heart and anchor us to truth today. In Jesus' name, amen. So John chapter 10, we've been looking at this parable that Jesus gave and then his explanation that follows. And so go back to verse 10 again. He says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have, it, have life and have it abundantly. And this word abundantly is a mathematical term, actually. Anybody here like math? I, I'm, I'm not a big fan of math, all right? But it's a, it's a math term, and it indicates a surplus. So Jesus says, I'm coming to give you life, and I'm giving you a surplus of life. And so what's he talking about? Is If he's giving you a surplus of life, what does that mean? Think about your life. Do you feel like there's a surplus of life? Some people will say, you know, it's a surplus in wealth or prosperity. Some people preach a gospel that says, follow Jesus. He'll give you this abundant life where you're just going to have more and more blessing. And again, it's just more and more about us. Or some people would say, you know, I want more years or I want, you know, this or that out of life, materialism. But we talked last week that when Jesus said he gives an abundant life, he's talking about, as we sang in that song, a surplus of joy, a surplus of satisfaction, and a surplus of contentment because we're at peace with God because of what Jesus did. And so when we preach the gospel to ourselves, we can know even when we sin, even when we mess up, even when we walk into that coffee shop and the line's long and we're complaining and griping to ourselves with no thought around us about the lost and those people who need Jesus, And we start turning and being very, very selfish. Even for those moments, there is the grace and the satisfaction that Jesus offers because Jesus died for our sins. And Jesus paid the price. And so as we look at Jesus' picture through this parable, we just have to remind ourselves again and again that we have this surplus available to us because of what Jesus did on the cross. Verse 11, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So in verse one through 10, we clearly saw that Jesus cares for his sheep. Jesus showed this big, wide contrast between the spiritual leaders of his day who were all about their selves and all about their power and their control, and Jesus contrasted that with himself as a tender shepherd, a strong shepherd, but tender shepherd, who wanted to guide the people and lead them in the way that they should go. The religious leaders, he calls them names such as strangers, he calls them thieves, and he calls them robbers. So Jesus 
turns this shepherd illustration that he gave in verse 1 through 5 directly upon himself here, and he says, he's the good shepherd. And as I pointed to a passage in Ezekiel last week, if you go on and read more of chapter 34, and it just so happens that this uh, Ezekiel passage corresponded with my reading this week, and as I'm doing this Old Testament read-through, Bible read-through, and in fact, some other people here read this chapter as well in Ezekiel chapter 34, but if you get down to verse 15, God said himself that he would come and he would shepherd his people personally because of the failures of the religious leaders and those who he had called to be the shepherds. He says in Ezekiel 34, 15 and 16, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost and I will bring back the strayed and I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak and I will feed them in justice. So God himself, the prophet Ezekiel prophesies, will come and shepherd his people. And in Christ, God was drawing his people back to himself. And while the immediate context here is the nation of Israel, this definitely, as we'll see in a second, goes out to the entire world. And so here's the picture. The good shepherd calls on his sheep and he leads his sheep out by name. He calls his sheep and he leads them out by name. And so we see this personal connection that he has with his sheep. And he says that he's willing to even lay down his life for them because that's how much his personal connection is with his sheep. Let me ask you the question, what does your personal connection with Jesus look like, honestly? What is your personal connection with Jesus himself? Not religion, not church, not your K group, but what is your personal connection to Jesus looks like? Because according to Jesus' words, by the authority of the Gospel of John, the inspired word of Scripture, Jesus calls us by name. His sheep recognize his voice. They respond, and we have this beautiful, intimate picture of this relationship that exists. Now, if you're a newer Christian, it's understandable that your relationship would still be, you're, you're not quite there fully. You're, you're still, how do I connect to Jesus through his word, through the Holy Spirit, through the church? How does this all fit together? But those of you who have been believers for many, many years that still don't spend time in God's word and don't seek him at least on a very regular basis, and I would say daily basis, you can't walk through life with the gospel permeating your mind and living out your calling as Jesus set the example, and he's referred to again and again and again throughout the book of, the John, of John, I only do what the Father does. I do the Father's will. He says that again and again for our sake, for our benefit, not just because he was doing it, but to show us by example how we're to live our lives. And as long as we have in our mind going through, like, how did they get my way? Why do, does this take so long? Why don't they get my order correct? If we live our lives with that coming through our heads all the time, there's no way that we're going to see out here the task and the mission that God has called us to do. And there's no way that we're going to live for his glory. And it starts with that personal connection with the shepherd. It starts with knowing the shepherd and letting the shepherd speak through his word and through his people and through his sermons and through just letting his word saturate through scripture memory and allowing us to be connected to him on a personal basis. Some years back, many years back now, I think Colin was probably eight or nine years old, we were driving to church one Sunday morning, and when we got in the car and just started it, this was pre-iPod, this was pre, maybe not pre-iPod, but definitely pre-iPhone, and the Bluetooth connection things and all that was 
er, in its early stage, and we were driving a car that definitely didn't have that. And so we, uh, we had already tur- uh, turned on, and my son Colin looked at me, and he said, Dad, why does uh, 98.9, why are they playing Christian music? And if you listen to regular radio or have in the past, you know, 98.9 is like a top 40. It was a top 40 station. Not sure what it is today. But it was like a top 40, and it was playing on Sunday. It was playing Christian music, and it was playing worship music. And I explained, you know, hey, you know, you got people who are going to church and tuning in and so on. But it stuck with me because, and I, and I think I took this as a teachable moment for him, that's the way many of us live our lives. We live our lives saying, I'm going to tune in to Jesus on Sunday and maybe I'll tune on to him on Wednesday, but my brain never gets tuned into him much any other time. And so if you're going to have a personal connection with Jesus, it far extends past Sunday, and it goes into our lives, and it roots everything about our lives. And it takes over our life because Jesus is shepherding our lives. And if you know Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is leading us. He's guiding us. He's taking us. We're following him, not the other way around. And so he says, my sheep hear my voice, and I call my sheep by name. It's very personal. It's a personal connection. And he says then in verse, verse 11, the second half of verse 11, Jesus says, the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. And from the perspective of this parable, the good shepherd is willing to put his life at risk for his sheep. But, of course, we know the context here of the gospel. This is loaded language. I mean, he's saying to them, he's saying that Jesus is saying, I'm going to lay my life down for you. And not just some general laying down. He says, I'm going to lay my life down for my sheep. The good shepherd took upon himself the fate that would have otherwise have fallen upon the sheep. Get that picture. The shepherd says, you would have been destroyed, yet I'm going to lay my life down for you. You go free. I take the punishment that you deserve. What a beautiful gospel picture. And we'll come back to that more in a second, but he says the true shepherd, he's not in it for his own profit. Look at verse 12 and 13. He who is a hired hand, just an employee, and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep, he sees the wolf coming and he leaves the sheep and he flees and the wolf snatches them up and, and they scatters them and he flees, being the, the hired employee again, he flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for his sheep, for the sheep. And so the supreme test of if the shepherd is in it for the sheep or not is how does he respond when danger, when the predator appears? You can tell the clear difference between the true shepherd and the false ones, the ones of Israel that Jesus is pointing to in the immediate context and just in general because they take off. They don't own the sheep. They're not their sheep. And Jesus is different from any other religious leader of his day because he pursues the sheep, those who were the strays of Israel, the strays of the land, those that were hurting and were desperate. Jesus came to them. And Jesus directs us directly at the the Pharisees and the religious leaders. He says, you're just simply hired hands. That's just your job. And it makes sense. Like, if it's just your job, why would you do it, right? I worked retail for a few years when I was in college. And while I was there, um, one day I was on work at that point. Uh, It was a sporting goods store. And a guy came in and tried on some shoes. Young, athletic-looking guy from what I heard. Got the $100 at least pair of shoes on at that time, one of the more expensive uh, kinds that we we carried. And then he took off running out the door with the shoes on. Well, the next day when I came to work, 
the employee was talking to the manager, and I was standing there about it, and he was like, why didn't you run after him? And the guy's like, I ain't getting killed for no pair of shoes that I don't even own, right? That, I'm not putting my life at stake for that. And that's the picture that Jesus is getting at. When, it, when it's not yours and when it, you don't have any stake in this, you don't have any skin in the game, why would you risk it for, in this case, the sheep? You wouldn't do it. And so as long as shepherd guy is faster than the slowest sheep, he's in good shape, right? He takes off, he's in the clear, sheep gets mangled and torn up. The hired hand loves his life more than he does the sheep. That makes sense. It makes sense. But in Jesus' parable here, he's showing us that he owns the sheep. He cares for the sheep. And not only does he own and care, he would sacrifice his life, give his life, which he does for his sheep. And as Jeremy was standing here saying a minute ago, such a, a good encouraging word, that we need to remember that when times are, are tough and difficult and life is horrible and things go wrong and, and everything seems to be coming down upon us, that God is for you and he's not against you. That in Christ, he showed and he put his money, so to speak, where his mouth was. He, he sent Jesus to die for us. And if he sacrificed his son, what else will he withhold from us, right? Paul says in Romans. What else would he withhold? He's going to give us all we need for life and godliness. Do you hear that? For life and godliness. Not for health, wealth, and prosperity, but for life and godliness. Not so you can get to the front of the coffee line, but so that you can wait in the line and show life and godliness and illustrate Jesus and speak for Jesus and lift up Jesus, even as you think it's just bad luck that you're there in that line, but God has a reason for you being there. So Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. I'm going to lay down my life for my sheep. I know my own, and my own know me, verse 14. He's no hired hand. He is one who loves and cares for the sheep. I know my own. Look at verse 14. I know my own. And that's, he doesn't end there, but he says, my own, they know me. They know me. When I took my very first ministry job, the church that I began to work at was very much a business-minded church. Like, they, they really had a business model to it. And, and, and when I went for the interview for, the, for the, the, the job, the pastor was talking to me about being a youth pastor and so on. And he said, do, I, do you have any questions? And I said, how do I not let this become just a job? I said, I, I don't want to just punch in and punch out. And he was actually fairly baffled. He didn't really know what to say in response to it. Because a business model clocks in and clocks out. You do ministry during this time, you love the sheep during this time, and then you're off. But Jesus says he, he loves his sheep. He sacrifices his life for his sheep. They know him. He's with them. He leads them into green pastures. And he leads them beside still water. And he restores our soul. And so the, the picture from the Old Testament of the shepherd is a beautiful picture of, a, of a, a shepherd who cares for us and doesn't leave us on our own. And he's not in it for his own profit. Verse 14 Again, he says, I am the good shepherd. He repeats it. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, again, here's that illustration, him and his Father, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. No, I didn't read verse 15 again. 
He says it again five times in four verses. Jesus promises to lay down his life for his sheep. His willingness to do this shows why he's such a good shepherd. You know, look, when, when we hear the word good, he's a good shepherd. You know, that sort of can be cold, kind of methodical, kind of just moralistic, maybe just kind of even hard a little bit. He's a, he's a good shepherd. But I did some research on this word, and I, I want to show you a screen because I don't want you to think I'm some Greek scholar, and I've showed you this before. Go put that screen up there of Net Bible. This is great. Net Bible, you can just click over here on the right on the Greek. You can highlight the verse, the word in the verse that you want, like good, and it takes you over to what the word is in Greek because you don't have to be a knowledgeable Greek person to just kind of see some of the stuff. And you look right there. What's the first definition that you learn that the, the word good means in the Greek, in the, in the original language this was written? Can anybody see it from there? What is it, Jerry? You got it? Beautiful. Beautiful. It's a beautiful shepherd. Does that change the meaning somewhat? When you think of Jesus being a beautiful shepherd, and this is not about his attractiveness physically. It's about, as a shepherd, what he was doing. And and it's about who he is and his mission and the gospel and how it attracts people to himself. Follow that. That Jesus is beautiful And when Jesus calls, people want to come to Jesus. We call it the effectual calling. That's the theological kind of words for it. It's that Jesus, when he calls, he draws sinners to himself. God's sovereign grace draws them in. And we see this beautiful shepherd laying down his life for them. And what does he do? They do. They respond. They respond. And we saw this all the way back in chapter 6. We've spent great lengths talking about this verse, but I'm going to revisit it uh, quickly. Back in verse 6, Jesus said, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. And so it's this picture that Jesus is lifting up, and he draws his sheep to himself. They recognize. They hear his voice. They see his beauty, and they say, I want the shepherd. I need a shepherd. But a person who's lost or just moralistic, or a person who just wants to live for themselves, they don't need a shepherd. I don't want anybody telling me what to do and how to live my life. And that's the biggest fear, especially with younger people, is that you're living your life and you're saying, maybe one day I'll really let Jesus be the shepherd because I see that I probably need to do that. But to do that right now would cost me so greatly and it would make me so ridiculed and it would cause me to definitely be in the outs of my school or my group. And so I don't really want to follow Jesus. I want Jesus to be get me to heaven, but I don't want to follow Jesus. I don't want Jesus as my shepherd who I follow because that's going to be awkward because then I have to do the things that God tells me to do, and I don't want to do the things that God tells me to do. I want to do the things I want to do, the things that make me happy. And you haven't seen the beauty of the shepherd because when you see the beauty of the shepherd, we're drawn to him. And so the gospel is available to everyone, but because of our sinful nature and rebellion, no one turns to Jesus without first seeing the beauty of Jesus, and Jesus reveals and impresses upon you and I the beauty of himself. And the means by which God has ordained for people to believe on Jesus and see this beautiful Jesus is the preaching of the gospel, is the lifting up of the gospel. And when I say preaching, I don't mean preaching necessarily from here to you, but I mean just preaching it to yourself, preaching it in your life, preaching it in the coffee line. Romans 10, 14 through 15. 
How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless someone is sent? And so you get it? We're called to follow this shepherd and preach the gospel to ourselves. And when we're preaching it to ourselves, we preach it to the world around us. And people see the beauty and the greatness of Jesus. And that's the ordained delivery system that God provides for the world to see Jesus lifted up. I saw this statistic this past week. And I've read some statistics just on the decline of religion and Christianity in America. But this was a new one that just came out. 90% of Americans identified as Christians in the early 1990s, all right? For some of you my age, that 1990s doesn't seem like very far away, right? It seemed like just a couple weeks ago, all right? 90%, all right? 2020, down to 64%. 64%, all right, do the math. I told you I wasn't a math guy. 30, is that 36%, 26%? Which one is it, 26? All right, 670, yeah, 26%, 36%, is all right? Math people, who? What is it? Say it. 26. All right, 26%. 26%. That's one-fourth decrease. I do know that. One-fourth. Why is that? Why is that? I think a lot of it is the fact that we're not doing what God tells us to do. We're living for our lives, for me, attitudes. And yes, God's sovereignty, as I just said, overrides and undergirds all of this, what I'm saying. But God also ordains us to make a real decision to choose whether we're going to lift up Jesus in the gospel. Here and here and in our lives here. And so there's this decline in America, and we know it. And we can sit back and watch the news and complain or we can do something about it. And just like most people, you know, I, who work in business, they start local, right? This is what you have control over, your local community, your local friends. Begin to live the gospel. And then maybe some of you will get a vision for more of just, I need to go. I need to go. I, I read that Starbucks and McDonald's are closing quite a few locations in major cities in the north and out west due to crime, drugs, and homelessness. And sadly, many of us, we watch the news and we see what's going on and we're like, yep, they deserve it. I'm glad they're getting what they deserve. Terrible politics, stupid people, idiots, and we're preaching this gospel to ourselves. It's not the gospel, but it's a gospel that you get what you deserve. But that's not the gospel of Jesus. The good shepherd is the only one who has answers to these problems. So rather than sitting back and watching our nation implode and laughing about it, which is funny, right? Sending migrants to Martha's Vineyard is pretty funny, right? Pretty funny stuff. You laughed, didn't you, when you saw that? They're getting it. Yeah, good for them. The thoughts enter my mind and cross my mind too. But that's not what the good shepherd calls us to do. He goes and seeks and saves the lost. He pursues after those who need him. He prays. He challenges us to pray for those who need it. And our church has to be a a training ground for people to go and to share the gospel. 
On an encouraging note, we have a trip to Honduras coming up. We have an opportunity to go to a mission field and see firsthand what missionaries do. You can interact. You can do training. You can hang out with the kids, be a part of it. Lee and Tiffany are going to be back at the resource area uh, with some applications for the trip. If you have any questions, they would love to talk to you. Mission trips are an awesome time to see really just how big the world is and how big the need is. But as I'm saying, you don't have to go very far anymore to see the need for the gospel. It's here in our country. And again, an encouraging note, I think at least four of our college students either have done an internship in ministry or are currently doing an internship in ministry. And that encourages me. I was talking to a guy on the phone who graduated a few years ago, and he's doing an internship with his church. You know what that tells me? That we have four guys that are going out and saying, at some level, I need to be involved in ministry, and maybe it's vocationally in the future. And so I don't want to just assume that everybody is going to know that the Holy Spirit is going to call when he calls and they're going to go when, when he tells them to go. We hear and we go because of preaching given to us, and then we go and we preach and we spread the, the gospel. And so I want to encourage you, like if God is putting on your heart to make a difference in this world, I mean, you can be a missionary in Seattle. You know that. I mean, it's not the ideal place to live for sure, but you could be a missionary in Seattle, Portland. There's places that need gospel churches in Bainbridge, man, we have them on every corner. There's places out west and up in the north that have no churches that are preaching the scripture, or very few. And so the call is to preach the gospel because there's compelling power in the love of Jesus. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? You see, it takes the pressure off of you and I when we believe that there's compelling power in the love of Jesus and the gospel, that we just give it out there and it's in God's hands what he does with it after that. The pressure's not on me to close the deal or get somebody to pray a prayer. The Holy Spirit does his work. I just give the news. How are you doing on that? Are you trusting God? And are you spreading the news of the good shepherd who laid down his life for his sheep? Verse 16. This is where Jesus was saying, this is going bigger than just the nation Israel. And I have other sheep that are not in this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. One flock, one shepherd. This isn't they and us. This is the church of Jesus. This is what Jesus was doing. He was drawing the Gentiles to himself, and through the evangelism, through Paul and other disciples and apostles, the people of Gentiles turned to him, and we're here today as a result of their obedience and their legacy. And so the Gentiles would follow no other sheep. And we know in the early church, this was no other shepherd. We know in the early church, this was a hot topic and debated. Like, are we part of one or are we separate? And Jesus said, hey, it's one flock. It's one shepherd. Verse 17. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. Who's responsible for the death of Jesus? Think about that for a second. Who's responsible for the death of Jesus? Now, in one sense, of course, Jesus' enemies conspired against him and killed him. 
But was this shepherd overtaken by the wolves or a predator when he was trying to defend his harmless sheep? Is that what happened? Some of you may remember this back in the 80s and into the 90s. There is a group of biblical scholars and others who formed a group called the Jesus Seminar. And in the Jesus Seminar, they tried to get together and collectively decide what were true sayings of Jesus and what were just things that were added and made up along the way. And maybe in the theology class that Richard's kind of heading up with some others that are teaching and the elders, um, that you all touch on this at some point, maybe you have already. But they were trying to decide, like, okay, what's Jesus and what's not Jesus? And interesting, by the time it was all said and done, they had very little left that they actually said Jesus said from the Gospels. But they came to this conclusion also that Jesus was martyred. And the reason he was martyred was for this reason. He cut against the social and religious grain and characteristically called for a reversal of roles or frustrated ordinary everyday expectations, right? That sounds really impressive, right? Very scholarly, right? But the truth was, is Jesus a victim? Was he a martyr? Who was responsible for the death of Jesus? Let me read Romans 8.32 and then answer that in your mind. Romans 8.32, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he also not give us, get, uh, along with him, graciously give us all things? Let me read that again. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Isaiah 53.10, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. Or Matthew 26, 39, my father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours. So answer the question in your head, who killed Jesus? God killed Jesus in a judicial sense. He ordained Jesus' death, and it was to appease his own wrath. And he did that by crushing the son. Look at verse 17. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. God the Father, he says, had a special affection for Jesus, specifically because he, played down, he gave his life for the sake of the sheep, that he laid down his life for the sake of the sheep. Do you get that? Jesus' death satisfied God's holy wrath against sin and allowed God to bring sinners to himself without violating his justice. And so when we read verses like Romans 3.25 where God put him, Jesus, forward as a propitiation by his blood, we can rest in the fact that know that, that Jesus, as we sing, paid it all. He paid the entire debt. And in fact, this word propitiation, not a word we commonly throw around, but it means that Jesus satisfied the wrath of God. He didn't merely deflect it or prevent it from getting to us but it was fully and completely satisfied in Jesus. Jesus bore the full, unmitigated wrath of God, and it burned upon him. Why? Because of love for us so the sheep could be saved. God's wrath directed toward us, we deserved it, instead put upon Jesus Christ. And so we have our freedom, we have salvation because of what Jesus did on our behalf. And so we preach the gospel to ourselves 
and we know the full, the, the complete gospel is that Jesus took the punishment we deserved and the wrath that we deserved. And how does that change his commands where he says, love your enemy, right? Naturally, we don't love our enemies. We don't pray for those who take advantage of us. Like, we want revenge. That's what we tell ourselves, right? I want revenge. I want bad things to happen. I want, them to, I want th- things to just be horrible for their life because of what they did to me. But the gospel allows us to see that Jesus took the full wrath of God so we could have our freedom. We could have life and joy and contentment and peace with the God the Father. And so we preach the gospel to ourselves. And so it changes things as mundane as waiting in a coffee line. And so we have to allow the truth of this gospel to get past these walls and get past this nicer outfit we probably picked out and wore today. And it's got to hit the streets. And it's got to be in every situation that we go to and we visit and we come across people and we preach the gospel to them because we've been preaching it to ourselves. Verse 18. Jesus clearly says here that his death wasn't just a possibility. He says it was his vocation. This is his destiny. Look what he says. And no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Jesus says, this is why I came. I came to die, but I won't stay dead. To prove I am who I said I am. And to prove that you have the power to live this life through God's strength and the promises of his word, Jesus rose again. And so, as John Piper says, the story doesn't end with a mangled shepherd laying dead and sheep scattered, thirsting and starving in the desert. No, that's not the way the story ends, people. The story ends with a resurrected Savior because he had the authority to take it up again. So let's talk application, head, heart, and hands. The good shepherd took upon himself the fate that would otherwise have fallen upon you, his sheep. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Do you believe enough to preach it to yourself? Ask the good shepherd to give you the grace to believe that he's for you and he's not against you. In Christ, God is for you, not against you. And so no matter if it's waiting in a coffee line or facing death in its face, a diagnosis of cancer, a loss of a loved one, no matter what happens to you, God is for you, not against you, because what happened at the cross and the empty grave. And that's the gospel we preach to ourselves. And then our application, listen to yourself. Just catch yourself sometimes. Listen to yourself. Will you do that? Even as you leave this building and, and as you drive home, start to listen to yourself, the things that you're saying to yourself. Just the negativity and the lies that the, the, the thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy. And he's putting these thoughts in your mind just of death and destruction and your way and selfishness. And catch yourself in those moments and then start preaching the gospel to yourself. The gospel that the good shepherd took upon himself. The fate that otherwise would have fallen upon you, the sheep. Let's pray. Father God, your word is so powerful and so strong, and it's strong and powerful because you're the author. These words aren't just historical record 
or good things that were written down or maybe somebody made up along the way, but these have power and authority. These words are words that give life because they point us to Jesus Christ. And I thank you that he laid down his life for me and rose up again, proving he was who he said he was. So I could live my life dead to myself, but alive for you. And God, I pray for the person here who's so discouraged today, the person who has taken their eyes off Jesus, and they're living in a pattern of just putting them on themselves and their problems and their dysfunctions, their addictions. God, I pray that you will take those thoughts and point them to Jesus Christ, the resurrected Savior. And God, may they really truly believe in their heart that you are the good shepherd, Jesus. And you care for our souls. And you want to lead us. And God, I pray you'll encourage us. In Jesus' name we pray.